Thank you for tuning in to the Living Truth East Milton podcast. We're glad that you're here. If you'd like more information about our East Milton campus, you can check out our website at eastmiltonchurch.org. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like more information about our other campus, you can find that at livingtruthchurch.com or on the Living Truth Church app, which can be found in all app stores. Now for a message from the Word of God. We hope that God uses this teaching to impact your life. Amen and good morning and welcome to Living Truth East Milton. And you guys need to give yourself a pat on the back. You have pushed through the Christmas hangover and you guys have came to worship twice in one week, most of you. So you guys deserve just a, a pat on the back for that. You know, I know there was, you probably didn't even want to get out of bed this morning. You want to play with all your new toys this morning, but uh, we're glad to have you to worship with us this morning. Uh, a couple of announcements that may not be in your bulletin this morning. Uh, number one is we'll be launching a new website probably towards the end of January, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, and in the meantime, if, if the giving does not work on the current uh, website, you can, uh, if you look in your bulletin, there's a new text to give option. You can do that option, or we have moved our giving table over here to the side to make rooms for chairs in the back. Um, so just know those changes have taken place. Uh, Tuesday, we had a group of about 15 people go and deliver some Christmas um, boxes of, of Christmas food around this community, and that was just an awesome time. I appreciate everybody that came and served at that event. Uh, you got to really see some of the, the need in the community where we worship and gather each week, and the need is great, and it almost, uh, it, it's, it's just kind of overwhelming because you don't know where to start uh, because some of the needs in this community are so great, but uh, it was a blessing to those in the community, and we got a lot of really good feedback from that. Um, but this morning, we're going to be in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. Uh, so if you have your Bibles or your phones, you can flip there now. And I encourage you to do so so you can read along with us as we dive into this text. You know, the, the Sunday between Christmas and New Year's is always an interesting time when it comes to the church calendar because you don't quite want to start the New Year stuff yet. And, and you've already finished all your stuff for the other year. So uh, this morning's kind of going to be one of those standalone messages. It's not going to be as part of a series, but it's just, I feel like uh, the people that God wanted to hear that are here this morning. So we're going to dive into that this morning. And uh, so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this place to worship. We thank you uh, for the opportunity to worship and just pray that uh, we would hear what you have to tell us this morning, Father God. We would have open hearts, receptive hearts, Father God, that we would hear it and obey it, Father God, that your Holy Spirit would work in this place this morning and that uh, we would leave here knowing you more than we did when we came in this place, Father God. And we just surrender this time to you and we just praise you, Son, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, for those of you that may not be familiar with the book of James or maybe you haven't read it in a while, uh, just a little bit of context. So James, the author of this book, was the you know, half-brother of Jesus. Uh, that's a lot of expectation to live up to. Uh, but he, at this time, when he's writing this letter, he is the leader, the pastor, the shepherd of the church at Jerusalem, which was uh, mainly Jewish Christians who made up this kind of network of house churches, kind of like how we do our in-home small groups. You know, there was no, he wasn't preaching at a mega church. He wasn't, you know, in some big cathedral. He was, you know, communicating to all this network of house churches. So he's writing a letter to them, you know, trying to, to shepherd his flock, so to speak. And, and what was going on in his church that's very common in the church today was he had a lot of these people under his care that were professing faith in Christ, but their lifestyle did not reflect a relationship with Jesus. You know, they were, they were coming to church, they were coming to worship on Sunday, you know, they were checking the boxes, 
They, they had bookshelves and Bible apps filled with completed Bible studies. They had the Bible verse tattooed on their arm. You know, they were posting scripture to Instagram and Facebook, but so that their faith was surface level at best. You know, they were talking the talk, but they were not walking the walk. Their lives did not represent a transformed life in Christ. It was very apparent in, the, in their lives that there was an acknowledgement of Jesus. There was some belief in Jesus, but none of that knowledge was leading to action in their life. So that's in James chapter one in our text this morning. That's what James is addressing is this issue of, uh, you know, the, his, the people under his care, you know, coming to church and claiming faith in Christ, but still being of the world and living kind of worldly lifestyles. So uh, if, if you've got your Bibles, let's read verses 19 through 20 together this morning. It says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So keep in mind, as we go through the text this morning, he is writing specifically to believers. He's not writing to those who have not professed faith in Christ. He is writing to believers, those who have been regenerated, those who have been made in, into new creations through salvation in Christ. And he's, he's not writing them to dog them or to, to add more to their plate, but you know, he, is, he is their shepherd, he is their pastor, he is their leader, he loves them, he cares for them, and just like any good pastor should desire, he desires to equip them so they can mature and grow in their faith so that they can continue in their sanctification, they continue in their, grow, their growth in the Lord and become who God designed them to be. So he's writing, that, that's his heart as he's writing this to the people, not to, not to just overwhelm them, but to make sure they get them back on the right path of how they should be living. You know, and again, you know, their, their faith was, was surface level at best. So he's, he's lovingly trying to move them in the right direction. And so the first thing he says, he says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Now, how often when you were having a conversation with somebody, do you, especially the men in the room, do you actually listen to what the other person is saying? Like not just the words that are coming out of their mouth, but what they're actually saying, the message they're actually trying to convey to you, that the thing they want to communicate to you. How, how often do you pay attention to that? You know, I know I'm guilty of this in my own marriage, and that's why typically one of the first things they address in marriage counseling is communication and this thing called active listening, like actively listening to what your spouse is telling you. We, we, we're usually in a hurry just thinking about what the next thing we want to say is, not what the person is trying to tell us. And that, that carries over, not, even, not, over, not, not uh, just in our relationship with people, but in our relationship with God. I mean, how often do we sit down and pray to God and we, we spout out a list of demands and, and grievances to God and then we never stick around to listen to how he's going to respond? But James is saying, look, Look, listen, don't, don't rush to speak. Don't rush to get the next, that last word out. Just listen, actively listen to what people are saying, what God is saying before you just spout something out. Now this takes effort. This takes intentionality and you got to quit focusing on you for a minute and focus on somebody else and focus on God. You know, Proverbs 27 or Proverbs 17, 27 says, whoever restrains his words has knowledge. 
Look, you hear, I hear all the time, like people say, well, I never hear from God. I don't know what God wants me to do. Well, maybe the reason you don't have knowledge of what God wants you to do is because you haven't stopped long enough to listen to what he's telling you to do. You just got to be still and listen and slow to speak. This will help in our relationships with people. When people see that you are actually listening to them, it shows you care about them. It shows that you're interested in them. Wives, don't you love it when your husband actually listens to what you have to say, when he acts like he actually cares about the words coming out of your mouth? You can have that conversation on the ride home, but I know it's true. You are more likely to be in a good mood with your husband if he actually pay, if, if you know he cares about the things that you were talking about. I mean, he may have heard everything you said, but it's different when he's intent and he is focused on the words that are coming out of your mouth. But it, in, as we are interacting with people in this community and our day-to-day lives, you know, when, when people know that we care, when they know that we are interested in the things that are going on in our lives, then they're more likely to listen to things that we have to say, especially when it comes to things like sharing our faith, sharing the gospel with them. Once they know you care, once they know you're interested in them, once they know you have some kind of uh, love in your heart for them, then they're going to receive what you have to say a little bit better. But it also keeps us better in tune with God. Again, when we actually spend time in prayer, just silently listening for God to respond, when we are reading through his word and we just stop to just kind of meditate and reflect on what the word of God says, instead of just quickly reading and going on to the next thing. Quick to listen, slow to speak. And then James adds, he says, be, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, he's not saying never be angry because we know scripture talks about situations where anger is appropriate, righteous anger. But he's talking about those people that get angry and frustrated over everything. Those people that we would probably call like a hothead or that they can't do anything without grumbling. Like no matter what you ask them to do, they're going to get mad and they just are just they just go off the deep end. You all know somebody like that. You all know somebody. You have somebody you're picturing in your head right now that fits this description. He's saying, but, but don't do that. Don't, don't be quick to anger. Don't have that short fuse. Your everyday situation should not cause you, especially brothers and sisters in the faith, to get angry. If you are a follower of Christ, you've been transformed by the gospel, and you still struggle with, with these anger issues, then there's some work that still needs to be done. There's something deeply rooted in your life that needs to be addressed that's causing you to be angry about every little thing because it's not normal to be angry about every little thing like that. You know, scripture says that those who are quick to anger like this are fools. And that's probably why when we see somebody acting like this, we say, hey, they're acting a fool because it's foolish to act in that manner because it accomplishes nothing to just be angry all the time. It may make you feel better. I don't, I don't know. I've never really been an angry person. So I mean, I, but, but I mean, anger, it may, may make you feel better for a moment, but it doesn't accomplish anything. Anger like this just leads to more strife and more anger. It creates a perpetual cycle of crazy. All right. So now remember again in our text, James is talking to believers. So listen again to what he says in verse 20 towards the end. He says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So there's a couple things we need to understand from this verse. Number one is that as followers of Christ, you and I are expected by God to pursue a life of righteousness, a life that is pure, a life that is holy, a life that is in line with the words and commands found in God's word. That is what is expected of the follower of Christ. And in order to live a life in line with that life of righteousness, you have to live a life in submission to the authority of God and obedience to the word of God. Secondly, a lifestyle of of acting a fool, being angry all the time, does not lead to a lifestyle of righteousness. It's counterproductive. You know, as followers of Christ, you know, we're called to share the love of, of Christ with the world. And it's hard to share love with people and act a fool at the same time. You just end up being that angry Christian that, that feeds the, the, the all Christians are mean and unloving narrative that culture is already trying to push. So anytime you're that angry Christian, you're just adding to the, to the, the, the narrative already out there that's against Christians. So be quiet for a minute. Listen to God. Listen to people. Seek understanding. And don't act a fool so that you're able to, as a believer, pursue a life of righteousness, that of which God expects you to be pursuing already. Let's continue in our text, verse 21. It says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So what James is is saying here, he says, quit trying to live in the world and for Jesus at the same time. It's not going to work. He says, get rid of that immorality and that sin that's still hanging around, that's that's still kind of stuck on you a little bit since you came to faith in Christ. Because look, when we come to faith in Christ, there's still some, some residue of our old sin life, right? It just doesn't go away. Your old life doesn't go away immediately. You still hang around some of the same people. You still have to go to work. You still have some of those unhealthy habits and hurts and hangups that are still undealt with. And, and, you know, and, and sin, that sin that you were, were dwelling in before Christ is still as comfortable as it was before. It's still as exciting as it was before. Now there's just conviction added in the mix. But there's always this temptation to be drawn back into that lifestyle you had pre-Jesus. And he's saying, you need to shake that off. You need to get rid of it. You need to put it aside because it's hindering your pursuit of righteousness. He's like, because you're you're trying to live in both worlds and you can't do that if you're going to live out the expectations God has for your life. So James says, put away all that junk. Quit trying to live that way. And he says, instead, receive with meekness the implanted word. Now, this word receive is an interesting word in the original Greek. It, it really means, it's, it's, it's kind of the imagery there is, is that as, as believers, somebody who's already received the word of God in salvation would continue to open their hearts, their inner self, their soul, and allow the, and receive the word of God and allow it to transform them from the inside out. That we have to continually allow the word of God to come in us and, and transform us. That there is an, an, an act on our part that has to take place for that to happen. You know, the word of God only has the power to transform us if we let it. We have to receive it. We have to allow it to work and transform our hearts. But that makes a lot of us nervous because there's parts of our heart that we don't want God messing with. 
There's parts of our life, there's past hurts, there's issues, there's things he's going to want to change. There's parts of our lifestyle he's going to deal with. And we just don't want him meddling in that. So we say, no, we're going to keep you at bay. We, we got our salvation. We're good. We're not going to let you do any more work up in here. But James says it needs to happen. We need to receive it with meekness or a humble and gentle spirit, which is basically the exact opposite of acting a fool, being angry all the time. So he's saying, look, that's another reason you can't be an angry Christian because you can't receive the word of God if you're angry all the time. He says you have to receive it with meekness, with gentleness, with a humble spirit about you. Sadly, this happens not just, I mean, this wasn't just something exclusive to James's church. It, it happens in the church on a regular basis today. You know, God's word is implanted in us enough, just enough to bring us to salvation, but we never allow it to go much further than that. We never really allow God's word to take root in our souls. Now, most of you are from here or you've been around here long enough. You've seen a pine tree, right? Everybody knows. What a pine. Just so you know, I reference trees a lot because my original bachelor's degree is in environmental science. So I am kind of I have that background. So I do use a lot of uh, analogies that come from that field. Um, sorry, maybe the longer I'm away from that, I'll get a mo- I'll move away from those references. But you've all you've all seen a pine tree. Right. And here we have one that's called a longleaf pine tree. And their root system typically have a tap root. That's a root that goes straight into the ground. It's about 10 to 15 foot long. And if you ever noticed, whenever hurricanes come, very few of those pine trees fall over because they are rooted so firmly into the soil. And typically the ones that you see that have fallen over are the ones that have the, the shallow root system. They're the ones that are completely tipped over. See, many Christians never allow God's word to get rooted in them. And as a result, when that first hard season comes, when that first taste of suffering and adversity comes, they abandon God and go back to the things of the world. But if we receive God's word and we allow it to take root, to grow that taproot that goes uh, from our brain to our heart, and we allow the word of God to become rooted in us, then we can stand firm. We may sway back and forth a little bit, but we will not fall if the word of God is rooted in us. I was listening to a sermon last week and the pastor was talking about a friend of his who had lost an adult, adult child suddenly. And he said, you know, my wife and I could not have ever prepared for the emotional trauma of the loss of our child. He said, but the one thing that was not affected was our view of God because we were theologically ready for a situation like that. He said, because we were theologically ready, we didn't question God's goodness. We didn't question his righteousness. We didn't question his sovereignty because we had a theological foundation. See, that's an example of somebody that has received the word of God and allowed it to firmly take root in their being. When you can stand on the word of God, even in a difficult season like that, and not question his goodness, his righteousness, his sovereignty, his mercy, his grace, his love. And that kind of faith is open to everybody. You just have to be willing to receive the word of God and allow it to be implanted in you and take root in you and transform you from the inside out. You know, and he says at the end of that text, you know, he he says, you know, receive the implanted word, allow it to transform you. It is able to save your soul. 
Now, that may seem a little weird since he's talking to believers. And yes, the, the word of God does have the power to save us from our sins. But what he's referring to here is that sanctification process, that process of cleaning you up, making you who God intended you to be, dealing with all that junk in you. He's saying, look, the, the word of God has the power to clean you up. It has the power to deal with those hurts. It has the power to deal with that sin you're struggling with. It has the power to, to, to do and deal with anything that you have going on in your life if you're willing to receive it and allow it to take root in you. So if you want to move forward in your journey in this, on this path of righteousness, you first have to receive with meekness the word of God and allow it to take root in your soul. Now, these first few verses are just a lead up to verses 22 through 24. He's, he's almost giving them a, a blueprint of, of things that have to be done, a preparation that needs to be made in their hearts so they're able to do the command he's about to give them in verses 22 through 24. So let's read those next few verses together, starting in verse 22. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. You know, if, if somebody cornered me and made me pick a life verse, it would probably be this one. Be not hearers of the word, but doers of the word. It just, it just makes scripture so simple when I read that verse. Read it, do it. It's very simple. We complicate it, but it's very simple. Just read it and do it. But some of the things we need to understand, you know, back in James's day, most of the people were illiterate. So the, the word had to be read to them. But, so, but in our context, we can, we can say not only be, uh, you know, talk about when it says hearers of the word, but also be like readers of the word. So he's saying, don't just be a hearer or a reader of the word, but also be a doer of the word. Now, keep in mind, the people that he's writing to, they hear the word preached regularly. I mean, the, the house churches at least met once a week. Some of them met multiple times a week. Some of them met daily. So these, these people that he's writing to are hearing God's word spoken all the time. And so this, it's not a foreign concept to him. They know it. They believe it. But yet they're not doing it. And notice, notice what James is saying there. He's not making an option. This is a command that James is giving to all believers, you and I included, to not just be a hearer of the word, not to just have knowledge of the word, but to also be a doer of God's word. There's no exception listed in there. It's, it's not an and or, it's a, an all or nothing command that James is giving in this text. So we need to not just hear the word. We need to actually listen to God's word, listen to what it's saying and seek to have understanding in it. Because when we actually seek to understand God's word, the next step, the next logical step is to be a doer. If we really have understanding of God's word, we can't help but do what it says. So quit acting a fool and start pursuing a life of righteousness. Let the word take root in you so that you are able to be obedient to the word of God. Look, we all need to have a biblical knowledge. We all need to have some, some, some theological knowledge. That stuff's important. But if we never actually do it, what good is it? Amen. What good is it to have all that knowledge if you never do anything with it? 
And, and just, just think about what he's, what he's saying. You know, when he's saying about those people that, that listen to God's word but never do it. About being somebody that goes in and looks in the mirror and then forgets who they are. Just, so just picture this. Picture this. You're at home and you're in front of your mirror for like 30 minutes or an hour. And I know some of the guys are like, man, that's an eternity. And the ladies are like, that's not enough time. But, but just, just, just go along. Just say you, you spend 30 minutes in front of the mirror and you're like, and you're looking at every hair. You're trying to count your gray hairs, your wrinkles, all that stuff. And then as soon as you turn around, you have forgotten everything you just saw. Now, for most of us, that'd be a little troubling, right? We might think we have like early on, onset dementia or something. We might start seeking some medical help if we immediately turn around and forget everything that we just looked at in that mirror. But more than that, we just wasted 30 minutes to an hour of our lives. And James is saying, what is the point of listening to and reading God's word if you're never going to do it? You're just wasting your time. If you've truly received the word of God and you allowed it to transform you and it takes root in you and and you allow it to go from your brain to your heart, then becoming a doer is the only natural byproduct. It's, It's the only natural next step. Think about it. If somebody ran in here and says, this building is on fire, you all need to get out. And we all hear what they say, but none of us move. We're going to get burned. So God is running in saying, here, here is everything you need to know in this book about life. Read it and do it. But yet most of us never even get to the reading part, much less the doing part. And because of that, a lot of people are going to get burned in the end. He's thrown us a lifeline. He says, read it and do it. It's not that complicated. Yeah, but something else happens as you start reading God's word and you start listening to it and actually, you know, listening to understanding and seeking to understand what it's saying. You actually start applying it. There's kind of a, a transition that takes place in you. There's some, there's some things that start happening. You begin to, God's word became, becomes a little more tangible. You begin to understand it a little bit better. Just think about maybe a time you started a new job. You know, you probably spent, you know, at least a day or two training, learning the ropes, learning the protocols, learning the systems, learning how that business does certain things. And it's probably a little overwhelming, but, but then once you start actually doing it for yourself, you begin to understand why certain things are the way they are and and how things are connected to one another. And the same thing happens when we move from listening and reading God's word to actually doing it. We begin to see how things are connected. We begin to, to, to gain insight on why God wants us to live a certain lifestyle, why he wants us to pursue a life of righteousness. But sadly, most Christians just continue to deceive themselves into thinking that's what they're doing when they're really not. You know, they have read and heard God's word and they have read it, but yet their lifestyles do not reflect a transformed life at all. There is no evidence in their life. They are pursuing a life of righteousness. There's some, there's some resemblance of, of Jesus being a, a minute part of their lives, but there's not this, this transformed life of righteousness that God is expecting of them as believers. So much so that often you can't, you cannot tell the difference between a follower of Christ and somebody that doesn't even go to church. 
And I think many Christians fall down this, this path for two reasons. Number one, a lack of discipleship. Nobody, nobody took the time when they came to faith to train them up, to teach them how to be a doer of the word, to teach them how to study God's word, to teach them how to be a doer of God's word. But secondly, I think many Christians don't pursue being a doer of God's word because they want to give up the comfort they have in not doing it. Because they know if they they start doing God's word, they're going to get uncomfortable a little bit. Because that's what happens when you follow Christ. He gets you out of that comfort zone. Yes, it is uncomfortable, but it is so, so worth it at the same time. So don't just hear and know the word of God, but do it, apply it, and live it. That's what God is calling us to do. You know, and something else is going to happen. If you start being a doer of the word, you're going to start producing what John talked about in his gospel of you're going to start producing fruit. You're going to start producing kingdom fruit. And so, so what is, what is kingdom fruit? Fruit is, you know, if you are going to be a doer of the word, that means people are going to start seeing in your life things like love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And eventually, if you're really pursuing righteousness, if you're really doing what the Bible says, eventually there's going to be people in your wake that are going to be transformed by the power of the gospel because you're living it out. If you live in righteousness long enough, if you are a doer of the word long enough, there should be some people whose lives have been transformed because of it. That's one of the ways you can check yourself, see if you're doing it right. See, and, and, the, and the, the beauty of it, when we, I mean, some, some people have people that follow them and they're not really pursuing a life of righteousness, but how you can, can test whether it's really fruit of the kingdom is that real kingdom fruit reproduces itself. That's when you start having disciples that make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. And that's why we're a church of disciples that makes disciples. So if we're committed as a body of believers to pursuit of righteousness, it's not just not only being a hearer and reader of the word, but also a doer, then this is the type of fruit that Lord willing, we're going to see out of this church in 2021 and for the years to come. Let's finish up our last verse this morning, verse 25. In verse 25, James says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So what he's referring to in this law of liberty, he's, he's basically talking about those who have, been, have, have, have found salvation in Christ, have accepted Christ as their Savior, and they are no longer bound to the Old Testament law that enslaved them to sin, and, and basically was a curse on them, that they have, they're under this law of liberty, which is what we are under when we accept Christ as our Savior. And he's saying, you know, those who have been saved, they're no longer in the bondage of sin. But listen again to what he says in that verse. He says, those who are saved and persevere, being not a a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, will be a blessing, will be blessed in his doing. So look at that word persevere. To, to persevere means you have to face some type of challenge or adversity, right? Like that's how you persevere. There's, there's something that has to happen that maybe is difficult and you have to persevere through that. So just being a hearer of the word is easy. It doesn't really impact your life a whole lot. 
And we're, again, we're talking about people who have already been saved. If you haven't been saved, then hearing the word can have a huge impact on your life. But if you've already accepted Christ and all you do is just are hearing it, that's a lot easier than doing it. I mean, for most of us, we can come in and hear the word and we can, we can shake off that conviction between here and the parking lot and we're good and we can go back to doing what we were doing before. But being a doer of the word requires perseverance when things get tough. You know, maybe you're in here today and you're struggling in your marriage and you're close to choosing divorce. But let's say, and I hope and I pray this isn't you, but let's say this, this is hope that you choose God's way and not your way. And you choose to be a doer of his word and you choose to stay married and you decide that you're actually going to stand firm and fight for your marriage. It's going to be hard. It's going to take work. But in doing that, you will not only be a hearer of God's word, but a doer of his word. Or maybe you're struggling financially right now, but you feel God tugging at your heart every time you hear his word or you read his word to start being a giver, to to start tithing on what he's already given you. And you, and you, instead of ignoring it, you choose to be obedient. You choose to be a doer. You, You choose to go from knowing what God has called you to do to being someone that does what God calls them to do. Look, and I know if you're in that situation, that's a tough place to be in. I've been there, got the t-shirt. I know it's tough, but I know God honors you when you give, especially when you give out of your poverty and you give when you don't really have a lot to give. But when we put in the work and we persevere, we will experience the blessings of God, blessings that can only come from him, blessings that we can experience nowhere else. Guys, there's just something almost, it's really just, unex- I, can't, I can't find the words to truly explain how satisfying it is about in walking in obedience to God, doing what he actually has called you to do, doing and living out what his word says. You know, it's, it's almost like he intended it that way, right? For, you know, crazy as that sounds, yeah, go figure. So I want to encourage you guys this morning, if you're a follower of Christ, to make that choice to move from just hearer and reader to also being a doer of God's word. But no, you can't do that alone. It takes accountability. It takes discipleship. It takes encouragement. And it takes lots and lots of prayer because it is a difficult road and it requires perseverance. And we weren't intended to do it on our own. And that's why we have our small groups, our discipleship groups. That's why we push them so much, because we know if you're not connected to one of them, the, the, your success rate in pursuing a life of righteousness to being a doer of the word diminishes greatly if you're not connected in one of these groups. You're easy pickings for the enemy if you're trying to do this by yourself. You know, you're iron sharpening iron when you're in these groups. You're, you're, you're building each other up. You're encouraging one another. So don't attempt it alone. But with, with everything that we've talked about in mind, I want to I just run some numbers by you guys real quick because I'm, I'm a numbers guy. Numbers are pretty concrete. In the United States, 52% of the people in America claim to be church attenders. Not believers, church attenders. That's roughly 172 million people in the United States are in church on any given Sunday. Now, statistics show that in those churches, about 20% of them are actually doers of the word. 
So 20% of 172 is like 34, 35 million, something like that. So that means we have 138 million people in church potentially today that are doing nothing. That's a lot of people. But I just want you to think, just, if you're just thinking in Baptist world alone, the, the church gets a lot of things done. You, you, they have, they're the, you know, just in the Southern Baptist Convention alone, there's, there's thousands of churches being planted all over the world. There's, there's hungry people being fed. The gospel's being shared in all the corners of the earth. You know, there's tons of work that gets done with basically 20% of the people that claim to be a follower of Christ. Could you imagine what would happen if we bumped that up just, you know, 10%, 20%, 30%? I think our communities, our cities, our states, our country would look entirely different just by bumping that up a few percentage points. If we had 10% more of people in our churches today say, I'm going to move from being a hearer, I'm going to move from being kind of a surface level believer to an actual doer of the word, and I'm going to start pursuing this, this life of righteousness thing. I'm, so I'm going to start doing what God expects me to be doing. Now, this would require a lot of discipleship for sure, but what it's going to require most is the people sitting in the chairs in the churches today making a conscious decision to say, I am going to choose to be a doer of God's word and not just a hearer and a reader of his word. You know, I believe God has big plans for this body of believers. He's done some big things in 2020 and just some of the things he's laid on my heart that we're going to kind of dive into over the next couple of weeks for 2021. It just gets me really excited, but the only, you know, God's going to make it work however he wants, but, but the, the only way I see it going well is if we're united as a body of believers and we're committed to being doers of the word, because I think it's going to be hard to do what God is calling us to do with just 20%. It's going to take way more than 20% to really achieve the vision that God has laid out for this body of believers. So as we move into our invitation, I'm going to ask Danny to come up. And I just want, to, want you guys to think about a few things uh, as we move into this time of just worship and response. Number one, you know, God expects believers to pursue a life of righteousness. But do we honestly care about what God expects of us? I mean, we expect a lot out of him. We get mad when he doesn't meet our expectations. But what about when we don't meet God's expectations? He expects you that, have, you that have received the gift of salvation that he freely has given you to pursue a life of righteousness, to be a doer of the word. But do we really care what God expects of us? Because if we really care what God expects of us, our lives would look a lot different. How often, just, just as you go out there this next week, or just think about it today, how many times do you actually stop and listen to the people that are talking to you every day? How, how often do you actually stop and listen to what God's trying to tell you? When was the last time you actually opened yourself up and allowed God's and received God's word and allowed it to take root in your soul? Maybe you're still fighting it off. You know, being a doer of the word is, is a hallmark of, of, of being a follower of Christ. You know, if you've been truly transformed by the gospel, then you should naturally be a doer of the word. 
You know, when we started a special needs ministry at the other campus years ago, you know, it wasn't because there's anything special about us, but it's because we had allowed God's word to be rooted in us. And then when the Holy Spirit prompted us, we had no other choice to do what God was calling us to do because we were committed to being doers of his word. We were committed to living lives of righteousness, not perfect lives, but we were committed to meeting God's expectations. The same with starting this church. It wasn't because there was anything awesome about the people that started this church because we allowed God's word to be rooted in us. And the only right response was to do what he was calling us to do. We could not do anything else. So just think about that as we, as we move into this time of worship and just think about how 2020 has went for you, how your walk with Christ has been going and, and, and just how, how could that be different as we move into 2021? Um, and maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ is your savior and this really wasn't a salvation message, but I know God can do what he does and he could be working on your heart this morning about surrendering your life to Christ. And if that's you, man, I would love to, the opportunity to pray with you and talk to you this morning as well. But, um, just respond however God is leading you this morning and uh, let's go to him in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for this time. We thank you that you've given us this word. That you've run in and you've said, look, this is everything you need to know on how to live life well, to live it to the fullest, to get my blessing. If you would just read it and do it. God, I pray that in here today that we would commit to move from just being hearers and readers of your word to actually doing it, to applying it, to understanding it, to to pursuing a life of righteousness, Father God. That we would actually care about what you expect of us, Father God. That that would mean something, that we would not just place all these expectations on you, but we would also consider the expectations you have put on us as your children that have accepted your free gift of salvation, Father God. God, and we just surrender this time of worship to you. We just pray that, that your Holy Spirit would do what he can only do this morning, Father God. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.